So would you turn with me and follow along as I read from Matthew chapter 20. We're going to actually start a few verses before that at the end of chapter 19. Then Peter, this is verse 27 of 19. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, And the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why? Because no one has hired us. And so he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first. And the first, last. Let's pause. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's talk to our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come. I pray that our hearts wouldn't be stony or hardened as we listen to the parable. 
I pray that we would not be like those first laborers who grumble and complain, thinking they're better because they worked all day, thinking that they are owed to you, God. God, open our eyes to see the grace of your mercy to us. Oh, Father, I pray that you'd give me your power to preach your word and give this congregation your power to hear your word and to change us. I pray that we would see the gospel rightly. We would see Jesus rightly. We would see our sin rightly. We would see our ways rightly. We would see what you have for us rightly. Oh God, this morning, comfort the brokenhearted and lift up those who are weak and give them strength. Would you purify those who are really encouraged right now in you and strengthen them even more and keep them humble and happy in you? God, I pray this morning that you would be with this flock and this congregation. I pray for those that are here visiting who are not yet of you, but you surely are calling them to you and maybe even today. Would you minister? Would you change them, change us? Oh, Father, we surely need you to give what we cannot give. I need you to give me what I cannot give on my own. I do pray that you would make this time really valuable to our to our souls, to our faith, to our hope in you, our trust, our fight against sin, our purpose as fathers and mothers and as disciples of Jesus and as laborers or students or whatever role that you put us in in this life, I pray that we would have our lives shaped by the grace of God. I pray that you would so seal in our heart that you always are right in all things, and that you are in control and sovereign in all things, and you are gloriously generous in all things. I pray that we would bow our hearts to you each day, and this morning I pray that you would specially feed us. I pray that you would be with the young children in this church, whether it be in this service or next, or not here this morning. I pray for those that are watching on the live stream in this morning, in this service or next. And I pray that you would minister to them, help them. And I pray that you would very soon by your grace and through your providential work in this country, in this state, you would allow us to all gather together again as one very soon, if it be your will. Thank you that because it's not your will, it's still really good. And you're being really generous to us this morning and really merciful. I pray that you'd be with our our leaders, both in our county or town, our police officers, hospital workers, our city officials. I pray that you'd be with our governor and our state officials. I pray that you'd be with Congress, Senate, President, the elections coming. I pray that you'd be and give mercy to our nation who are so confused and so far from you as a whole. 
grant us repentance. It is because of our lack of faithfulness that this world has suffered and this country has suffered so. But we thank you that you hear the cries of repentant people. And so we confess our sins to you and we ask that you would have mercy on us. I pray that we would be specific in the confessions of our sin as you forgiveness that you restore through the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd be with McFell Fossies who are continuing to adjust to Cameroon. And I pray that you'd give them a good Lord's Day today. I pray that you'd be with David Livingston in India and the church in southern India. I pray that you'd minister to their body this day. Now help us now as we engage in this text. Do above and beyond all that we could even ask or think in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you done a lot for God? Is that how you feel? Do you deserve more than someone else who is less committed to Jesus Christ? Maybe it's your service in the church, your commitment to reading the Word of God, your tithing. Could it be you have been a Christian what feels like all of your life and you've sought to be faithful And therefore, God owes you to take care of you in a very special way, in a way that you define. When you go through trials, difficulties, do you feel God has let you down? Does your life, or or at least part of your life, seem so unfair And it's so hard to get over that. You question God's decisions. Meaning, do you wonder whether he's actually right? Did he miss this one? Is he blind to this situation? Is he really in control? And is he kind and loving? Well, I just read this story. Starting with Peter who's given up everything to follow Jesus, as he responds to Jesus saying, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? And the rich young ruler could not follow Jesus because he could not abandon his wealth. He was too in love with his wealth to trust Jesus. Well, in this story, we have a vineyard owner who hires laborers at the beginning of the day with a contract of one denarius to the first group that he hires at right at the beginning. It's a fair and, in fact, some would say a very generous amount for a day laborer who gets hired on the spot. And then at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour, which is usually hours of the day of daylight, which is normally in that in Jewish time would be you start at six is the first hour, nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, and the eleventh hour would have been five o'clock, ending around six being the end of the day. He hired more laborers with contract that he didn't give in Daenerys' promise. He just says, I will pay you what is right. At the end of the day, he gathers the laborers to pay them, and he pays them, note this, in order of last, who came last, first. He pays the latecomers one denarius. 
leading the original laborers, those that started the day, to assume they would get more than their agreed contract. One denarius. And when they receive that one, they grumble and they complain to the master of the vineyard, comparing their hard work to the work of the others. And the master asks how he's doing them wrong and why are they begrudging his generosity to others. In this text, we see a lot of things about God, our hearts, the grace of God, and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And what we also see in this parable is we see the poison of comparison that does not get or grasps the way of God, namely the goodness, the generosity, and the grace of God. It's kind of like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son that you could read in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal, the elder brother had stayed with his father and he says, Father, I have served you all this time and you've never killed the fatted calf for me. And he has this entitled mentality that he deserves. We see this accusation at the landowner and they say, it isn't fair. I once heard someone, a guy named Ben Mar- Mark- Merkel, use this phrase, this comparison that goes on in this text, this poisonous comparison, it's called the poison of a sidelong glance. I just want you to think about this as we engage in this parable. The poison of a sidelong glance. What I mean by this, the essence of a sidelong glance of comparison is when we prefer to evaluate our circumstances relatively, meaning to those around us, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, those in our church, rather than objectively, meaning how, with respect to God. The sidelong glance, I'm looking around me, and, and, and therefore getting my contentment, my satisfaction, my feeling of security and love is horizontal perspective rather than a vertical perspective in gazing upon God. This is a sidelong glance versus a heavenly or Godward gaze. It's relative in that it looks to what others have rather than what is truly right and good. And the grumblers in Matthew's 20 story do just that. They look to others and they evaluate their circumstances based on that. This sidelong glance is something that we can all struggle with. It's manifested in words like, why not me? Or that's not fair. It's usually focused on surface-level senses of justice. It's not right that she should get that treatment. Um, the sidelong glance can be as simple as, I, I like, I haven't been there recently, I love going to Chipotle, the Mexican grill. And when I get my chicken fajita burrito, 
I, I, I want that chicken fajita burrito. And I, I watch them that pile that generous portion of chicken on there and, and the fajita on there and rice. And I'm fine unless I look at the person behind me and I look and see that spoonful was a lot more heaping than mine. And all of a sudden, my burrito is not adequate. Another term could call it envy. It's a biblical term. It's best defined as resentful emotion that occurs when a person lacks another's perceived superior quality or achievement or possession and either desires it or wishes that other person lacked it. Envy is another way to talk about what the sidelong glance can often produce in our hearts. That's what's happening by these one Daenerys started the day with, and they look and go, that's not fair. They shouldn't get all of that generosity. Shouldn't get that. I should get more. The temptations of envy or the sidelong glance are everywhere. It might be at our work. My job is unfair. unfair. I'm underpaid. I, I didn't think I was underpaid until I found out what somebody else in my department was making. I'm undervalued at work because others get more attention and praise or regarding our marriage. If only my husband would lead spiritually or do this like so-and-so, or if only my wife would do this or take care of me this way or treat me with respect this way, or, or if only my parents would take me to this vacation land rather than just these boring vacations, like everyone else gets to have this, but not me. If only my kids would be like their kids. If only they had kids like mine. It can manifest in cliques and relationships. It's not fair that they have a new car or a big house or I work so hard. My work ethic is so much better, but they always seem to get the breaks. I'm a better leader. I know I am, but he always gets to lead. She gets to lead. That in that way, that other church has this. Why can't we have it? We're tempted differently. In whatever station, we all have our unique temptations of this kind of envy or sidelong glance. I don't covet Aaron Rodgers' job and pay, but I can be tempted to envy another pastor or a Christian leader who gets maybe more attention or better pay or something like that. I could, and for you, What about you and your situation? This parable is answering Peter and the disciples who say at the end of chapter 19, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus responds, you you can't believe how generous I am. You didn't leave anything compared to what you're going to get. Everyone. Everyone, not just you who left first, but everyone will receive this and it's going to be so good you're not going to care as you, as you totally, as you start to shape your heart and your mind, not towards the sidelong glance, but to the grace of God. 
Do we evaluate our lives and the lives around us by the sideways glance of comparison or by the vertical and Godward gaze of the grace of God? Peter, the kingdom of God isn't how the kingdoms of this world work. What you think should be first, the rich, those that come and do all this performance, Quite often, they're going to be last. And those who are last, including like the the villain on the cross, who is even persecuting Jesus at the very end, and then something switched, and he repents, and he asks Jesus, will you remember me in paradise? And he's forgiven, shall be first. It's all grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The rich think that they have a leg up or a step up on the way to God, at least in the Bible times. And no, they don't. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because their riches are idols that get in the way to keep them from truly believing and repenting of their sins. Those who've sacrificed all, those who give a lot, are tempted to think that just because I've done this, I've... I'm entitled to a special treatment and favor. God owes me. I'm his debtor. You see, the sidelong glance says, I deserve for God to bless me. God owes me. I am better than so-and-so. And if things are hard, I'm a victim when I don't get what I should. As we look to God, we see something so much different. All that he brings in our lives is better than I deserve. He has given me grace. I owe him surrender and worship. I do not look at others and say I am better than them, but I look at others and see God's work in them, and I rejoice that God has lavished them with his generosity. I am not a victim I am a recipient of his kindness that will never end. This parable shows three things that I want you to see about God. Because you see, our view of God changes everything. Our view of God can free us from the poison of sidelongs glances. Our view of God can allow us to forgive others. Our view of God can help us overcome bitterness Our view of God can help us to be generous people from the heart. Our view of God can give us a joy and a happiness and a freedom and a security. Our view of God can allow us to shed the weight that weighs upon us that I have to be so important to others, that I have to give myself to this. Because of God's grace, I can be free because I know These things about God. I want you to see the grace of God in three things that we see in this parable about God. Three truths for a Godward gaze. The number one I want you to see is God's ways are always right. Do you see at the beginning of this, the the landowner, the vineyard owner says, I will pay you a denarius. For your way. And and the response would be, wow, thank you. That's fair and probably more than fair. Yes, I got a job today, provision for my family. 
And then he says to each of them that come into the, into the story and enter into the workplace, place, to the vineyard, he says, he, he says, I'll pay whatever is right I will give you. And at the end of this story, when he, he pays up, and by the way, this parable is not meant to be how you govern your workplace. That's not this, this is not the illustration. You shouldn't, this is not the model of how you should pay your employees. That's not, this is not the point of the parable. It is to teach a spiritual truth of how God works in his grace. But at the I am doing you no wrong. The opposite. I am right. He made a promise to that first laborer that comes at the beginning of the day, and he keeps it. He is right. Now, the story is not to illustrate that those who come at the beginning and come to God's grace, that God makes a wager and you earn God's favor. That's not the point of this parable. But the point of this parable is to illustrate First of all, that God is always right. He is never wrong. He is never truly unfair. It might appear that way. But let us beware of questioning the integrity of God's ways in our lives. It is hard to do that sometimes. The circumstances that come into our lives, the painful relationships, painful situations into our lives, the deaths of loved ones, the difficulties that we experience, the trials, could make us question, is God right? He is always right. I pray that God's word would fill you with an understanding and ability. I pray that he would give you the faith, because we need God's, God's faith, the gift of faith to believe him. I love Deuteronomy 32 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without sin. Just and upright is he. Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel chapter 4, I praise and extol the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those that are true believers come, come to grow into a conviction of faith. They see it with their eyes. They taste and see that God is good. But then there's going to be times where in faith we have to trust that God is right. Because sometimes we don't understand and we're put in that position where we have to trust. Brothers and sisters, Faith Church, here is the good news that all of us have received. And if you're here and you've not received it, well, we have prayed for you and we believe that you're here because God is drawing you to accept this very gift of grace in God's rightness. Romans 3 says this, All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means what's right for us is to receive the payment for our sins, the wages for our sins, which is death. That's what's right in one sense. That's what just is. The just punishment for our rebellion and not giving God glory is death. But that's not how the story goes or finishes. The good news is that we're justified by grace as a gift, not wages, but as a gift through the redemption 
that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, God's rightness, God's always right, because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sin. It was to show his rightness, his righteousness at the present time so that God would be the just and the justifier of all who have faith in him. This means that what's right is for us to get hell in one sense, but because Jesus died on the cross, if we put our trust in Christ, what's right is for God to forgive us because of what Jesus has done. We deserve hell, we get grace. We deserve punishment, and he has given us his son. But I'm thankful that as a brother and sister in Christ, as God being our father now, God treats us with our type of rightness that he will someday right all wrongs, all injustices. When he tells us in our, in our suffering, in our abuse, he says, do not get vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He doesn't say, I don't care about justice. He says, I'm going to take care of vengeance. There's going to be a lot of times in our lives we're going to say, God just doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right that this is going on. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? It is not seeming fair. I just want to say this. That feeling, that feeling of justice that you or even an atheist has, that feeling of justice, of that's not right, doesn't come from an evolutionary process. It comes from a heart designed and made in the image of God who is always right, who put it in you to say that's not fair because he gave you a sense of justice. And that sense of justice will be fully fulfilled and fully revealed in our hearts when we see God someday. But in the meantime, we, believe, we fight for justice. We love righteousness. We treat others right. But we also have this conviction like this Parable, like this landowner, God is always right. This man was right. God is always right in our lives. He's better than right. Thanks be to God. That's the first thing. Let us cherish, let us keep reminding ourselves God is always right. Number two, God can and does, and he does what he wants. There's another word for that. It's called God is sovereign. Notice what he says in this passage. It's it's towards the end of this section, this parable. He says to the grumbling complainer, I chose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. I chose. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You realize that all the earth and all that's in it belongs to our Father, to God. He made it. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. It's hard, hard to grasp our minds around this, but God is, God is the most free person in the universe who does all that He pleases. Sometimes He does certain things that He doesn't find delight in those things, but He has a plan because He is going after an ultimate overarching goal and drama to bring about the greatest good. He doesn't delight in the crucifixion of his son, but he delights in the redemption of mankind. 
He doesn't delight in the calamity that we face, but he delights in all the 10,000 years of joy that will come because of our putting our trust in him and growing because of his work in our lives. God is sovereign in all things. He's in control of all things. We see this. He does what he wants to do, and it is always right. Daniel 4, 35, I've already quoted Daniel 4. The same guide, Nebuchadnezzar, says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Oh, we should be responsible in this life. We should, we should care for others. We should vote. We should support. We should do all these things, but God's in control of the elections. God's in control of our lives. We should be responsible. We should be diligent. We should support our families, but he's in control of our lives. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and earth and the seas and all the depths. Or in Psalm 46, or Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there's no other, I am God. His godness means he can do this. I declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel, what I decide will stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. I call a bird from this place and that bird's going to go there. All the birds that end up here in the summer, God's design. All the birds that head south in the winter, God's design. And everything else. Including he will have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. And he'll show grace to whom He'll show grace. We should look at the, the lives around us, and God has been good to someone else, and we thank God, not with envy. God is in control. He's always right. I'm going to thank God that he's doing a work in that person's life. We should be the kind of people that, yes, we serve the Lord and we sacrifice and things are hard in our lives. When we look around and we see a brother and sister in our church that God has blessed and God's doing a work in our lives. And we might say, I wish I had that same blessing. And we say, thank you, God. You're so good. I thank you that you have designed to give him bounty and me not bounty right now. Not, you gave him a lot and me not a lot right now. You're good. But thank you. Help him to be good with it. Help her to be good with it. And help me to be thankful for what you're do you've done in their lives. Because you're the grace of God means he's always right and he's always in control. He's sovereign. And lastly, I want you to see this. God is always generous. See the, see the gener generosity of this landowner? We are meant to see the generosity of God. You see, anyone that is saved is not like the first workers in the story, they're much more like the 11th hour workers. Because all of our salvation is by the generosity of God. He says to the grumbling complainer, do you begrudge my generosity? My generosity means that those you thought should be last will be with you together enjoying the kingdom. If, if you'll bow your knee and accept that actually what you've received is generosity. No one is saved thinking 
that God gave them what they deserve? No one. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not be saved here, and you will not in the last day be saved if you think God owes you eternal life. The mark that He saved you is He so comes into your heart to see that all has been grace. God is right, because amazingly, He sent His Son so He could be right for us and still be just. And He has drawn me to Himself, and He is generous. I could bring you to so many passages about the generosity of God. We can see it. The, the Psalms talk about the generosity of God as they talk about His abundance in the earth, as He feeds the animals and He feeds the ground. And he feed, I mean, we're seeing the generosity of God pouring out on the earth today so that life can come forth, which is like a parable or a picture of God pouring out. I mean, His mercy... As Shakespeare says it this way, the quality of mercy is not strained. It's not like you don't take his mercy and it just goes through a little strainer. It's just a little bit. He just receives a little mercy, but instead it droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. God does not look at us and ladle out his grace and kindness with, with a little eyedropper. Here's a little grace. You can just handle for the rest of your life. Or with a, he doesn't ladle it with a little teaspoon. He shovels it with generous grandness. With the hands, the mighty hands that were pierced through Jesus Christ. The mighty hands that uphold the universe were pierced with nails to purchase our forgiveness. And he pours out his grace in our lives. That's why Paul will say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, right? Listen to the generosity who has blessed every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us, there's his sovereignty. He chose us before the foundation of the earth that we should be made like him, holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Sons who will receive an inheritance. Whether you're male or female, we're, we're his inheritors. In, or, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, his, of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. God being rich in mercy, his richness and mercy, his generosity, because of his great love, he loved us. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. By grace we were saved it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is God's doing. For from God's fullness, we've received grace upon grace, John 1.16. And for all those who are in Christ, he goes and works through all our trials so that we'll have a hope in him and a real relationship with him because his love is poured out upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, prone, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal to my, the courts above. Have you received his grace? Oh, that made that shape your perspective on the comparison factors. 
Let us have an upward gaze rather than a horizontal sideways glance. Acknowledge that he is right and he is good and he is generous. Trust his sovereign care and believe that generosity. He gave his only son that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. I say this to you who are believers for us to never get over that. That is meant to help us to be able to forgive others. You see, God is always right. He's sovereign and generous. This means I can trust his ways and I can trust his promises and I can trust his timing. I can endure his testings and I can interpret strange, painful, and even really difficult situations as a necessary thing from a loving, generous father who knows what's best and says, trust me. I can forgive others generously because I've been forgiven. I can give sacrificially to others because God doesn't ever stop giving to me. I can rejoice in others' successes and gifts because God has given me everything for my eternal good in Christ Jesus. I can care for those who rub me the wrong way or are more difficult to appreciate because, boy, left to myself, I'm far worse. God gave his son for us. God broke through my rebellion and yours. God turned my dead heart into life. Oh, may God help us to be. We can't show the grace of God off apart from taking it in and drinking it in ourselves. This parable is meant for us to say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is about. God's grace in our lives. Living out that grace. Not living in this, what are you going to do for me, God, now? Oh, you've done all. You will do all. Oh, may I share it and show it to others. God, I pray. As we respond now in singing, I pray that you would so work in our hearts that we would delight in the truth of this gospel, the goodness of grace of Jesus Christ. O rock of ages, cleft for me, let us hide ourselves in thee. Not the labors of our hands, none of that can fulfill your demands, God. Not not any zeal that we have or tears, not only your atonement. Thou must save and thou alone. Oh God, I pray that we would respond with gratitude, with worship in response as we sing this song. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.